Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. This morning, as we come to God's Word, uh, we're going to talk about generosity or giving. Um, and as we come to this passage, uh, if you were here last week, um, I'll just say it this way, super important message last week, not because I preached it, but because uh, the verse itself, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, is a super important concept for us all to grasp. And as I thought about it this week some more, I saw it everywhere in my life, of where I was trying to please people, where I'm trying to set up some kind of... Uh, um, place or stage my life in such a way where people would see as opposed to being driven uh, by this relationship that I have with my Heavenly Father. And so um, we're going to kind of review here this morning and I, I want you to reflect and to realize that verse 1 I think really sets the pace for the whole chapter And this is what it says. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you the first four verses of Matthew chapter 6. It says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And God, I ask your blessing on our time. I ask that you would help us to clarify in our own hearts what's most important. God, help us to see clearly and to see our way clear of uh, the traps and sins that we have committed. Many we've become good at our whole life. They become habitual. We've done them over and over again. It's the way we run. God, we ask that you would grant us repentance this morning, the change that comes from you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, verse 1, uh, it says, beware. It, it, it says, there's something important that you got to steer clear of. There's something dangerous in your life. And what is it? Uh, it doesn't seem that dangerous, maybe, at first glance. It says, beware of practicing your righteous deeds or the things that you do before men. Don't be that guy, that guy who sets up his life so others might see and and plans and plots that others might view uh, the things that he thinks are good and the things that he thinks that others think are good. There's a lot of thinking. Um, And we put a lot of thinking into things like this sometimes. He says, beware... Um, And that your motive, remember last week we talked about questioning motives. And some of you got really excited initially. You're like, I love questioning motives. But then when I said we're going to question our own motives, you you look downcast. Your face dropped uh, because we like questioning others' motives and not our own. 
And as we come to this passage, we were once again going to question why we do what we do. What is it that drives us and really what should drive us? As we look at this, uh, it's about careful living, careful living, not reckless living. Um, We love in our world today, we love passionate living. We love the idea of someone just letting go and just going for it. The problem with that um, is that sometimes as we forget about what matters, uh, we recklessly pursue the wrong thing. And so it's careful living. It's, it's a life that is not eager for credit, uh, is not driven by getting credit. Um, and I, I want to say this, that the key word in verse 1 is also the key word in the next section. Uh, it's Father. It's Father. It's all on the basis of our relationship with a Father, that we look to Him and desire His approval, desire His uh, relationship to be strengthened with us. So we come this morning to verse 2. Just to intro this, to think about this, uh, generosity is something that most of us are impressed by. If I would um, give a million dollars to Bear Valley Church, um, I could write you a million dollar check right now. Did you know that? I could write it to you. I could give it to you. You couldn't cash it or get money, but like, you, but I could write that to you. But if I could write it and there was money in the bank and I gave it to you and I said, give it to Bear Valley Church, you would be impressed, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Yes. We're impressed with generosity. We're, we're both impressed by it personally. And so sometimes we like to portray ourselves as generous people. Um, I say portray ourselves as generous people because, to be honest, um, I see a lack of generosity in our world today. And it starts with me. A lack of generosity. And, you know, maybe the the counterpart to generosity, the negative counterpart is greed, right? But but what it is, it's this tight-fisted, what if something happens? I've got to hold on to this for me. I need to somehow protect this for me. And so we live in a world that lacks generous people, uh, including the pastor of Bear Valley Church. I wonder sometimes why. I wonder sometimes why we're not generous. When we see a need, when we have an opportunity to give, I wonder why we don't. I wonder why we... uh, hold out and we say, what's the least amount I can give and still get by? Um, I wonder what it is of our heart. And I have to think that it has something to do with the Father in verse, our relationship to the Father in verse 1 and in the section of 2 through 4, also the reminder of our, our, our Father. It's our picture of Him. Because as I look at Him, uh, He is not cheap. He is not cheap. He's extravagant. We've sung of our Father's extravagant love for us this morning. Where a couple of the songs talked about the debt that we had, the overwhelming debt that we had for our sins, and that He covered that. He covered that. And how did He cover that? 
with the death of His own Son. He is more than generous to us. And so this morning, we look at generosity. As we look at verse 2, I want to remind you just how this is going to play out in the weeks to come. He talks about giving to the needy, and then he talks about prayer, and then he talks about fasting. Fasting. The idea of withholding food for a spiritual purpose. And so um, he's going to, on the backdrop of this, he's the, all these are visible things, things that are real that you can do. It's not something in your heart as much as something that people could see and be impressed with. And so with that in mind, in verse 2, it says this, when you give to the needy, when you give to the needy. Uh, in biblical times, uh, not so set up as today is, but uh, there were needy people around them. There were there were people who uh, did not have funds, did not have health, and and so there was a, a generosity that was expected from God's people. And so when they thought of giving to the needy, it was something that most everyone had done. Um, to be, we're struggling with that in our culture today, right? Uh, giving to the needy. Some would say, let them get a job, take care of themselves. That's what I do. Uh, others would say, um, I already give in uh, other ways, and so I don't have anything left. Uh, the needy are my own family, and so I take care of them. Others would say, I pay my taxes, and they're very high, and they're throwing that money to the needy right and left, and so I've already paid. And others give. Others give. Uh, to certain degrees, they give money to those who are needy. And so in, in the culture, the biblical times that the scripture was written in, Jesus was speaking to, they all knew about giving to the poor. But he's specific. He says, so you, you, when you're giving to the needy, you need to do it a certain way. There's a wrong way and a right way to give. And that's true for us here this morning. There's a wrong way to give and a right way to give. And um, I want to tell you, in the backdrop of this church, um, we take an offering. We take an offering. We take various offerings. We take uh, once a month. We do uh, give an offering for those who are needy. This is not talking about the church as a whole. He's talking about specific people. He's calling on them to consider their own place. What what drives them personally. So he says, thus when you give to the needy. And then he goes into talking about the wrong way to give. He says this. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. That same picture that he introduced in verse 1, he explains and gives examples to in 2 through 4. The motive behind why someone would give. Why is someone giving to the poor in this first part? They're doing it in the wrong way. But why are they giving to the poor? Because they love the poor? Because they have a heart for the poor? Because God has moved their heart to compassion? No! It's to be seen and praised by others. 
to be seen and praised by others. And you say, how twisted is that? It is. Motives, wrong motives twist us inside. We do the right thing. We perform well, but for the wrong reason. And it becomes this wicked and evil and selfish thing, which was meant to be pleasing to God. When you give to the needy, uh, sound no trumpet. Doesn't that sound funny? I'm about ready to give. I'm about ready to give a big gift. Can I get the guy on the trumpet to come over here? Okay, sound it out, sound it out. I'll explain what I'm going to do. I'll explain what I'm going to do. I will show, I will count it out. One, two, you know, I will count it out. And then I will give so everyone will know how generous I am. Did you see my generous gift? Did you see it? I'll do it again. Give me that money back. I want to do it again, right? I, w- I want to make sure you see. Did you please get a picture of this? I, I want to. I'll show you. I'll make the check one of those big checks, like uh, when they win something. You know, I, I want to make a big deal out of this so that everyone will know. That's the picture here. He says the sounding of the trumpet. It's interesting. Uh, we don't have really any confident. Uh, there, there's no one that I read this week that really believed that this actually happened, this trumpet sounding, that it, it's a picture of something ridiculous that someone might do. It, it's over the top. It's, it's using an example that um, people would like to do, but they'd be too embarrassed to do it. But it's the same concept. Um, maybe, maybe some of you have already thought of this uh, phrase. Toot your own horn. That's what it is, right? I did it this morning at the surprise box. I was pleased with myself. And so I wanted everyone to know that I was pleased with myself. Kids really related to it. They were going, yeah. It's this. It's patting ourselves on the back. Tooting our own horn. It says, when you give, don't, don't toot your own horn. Don't don't acknowledge it. Don't draw attention to yourself. In fact, uh, it's a different way. He connects this tooting of your own horn, the publicity seekers. He connects them with hypocrites. The word hypocrite um, was meant for actors and uh, people who play a part. And there's some great, we could talk a lot about that this morning, actors and Hollywood and hypocrites and stuff, but we're not going to go there. But the picture was that they're playing a part. I want to ask you a question and I'm not looking for confessions this morning. I'm just asking you to follow my thinking. Have you ever watched uh, the television? You've seen an actor or actress play uh, a part um, this can also happen with sports, but I think mostly of of sitcoms and movies that you see and you really connect with the character and, and you say, I like that person. I, I like them, you know, and and you might even figure out their name and what their real name is as opposed to their character they play. And you say, oh, I love this actor or actress. They're really great. But all you know is what you see on stage. All you know is the movie they played in, the character they played. And then you start finding out stuff about their life. And you go, oh, kind of ruins it for me. 
kind of kind of makes me feel like maybe I don't like them. What that is, that's the picture of hypocrisy. The picture of hypocrisy is that you uh, put the mask on, you you turn the lights a certain way, you get the right outfit on, and then you get involved in a part, and then you play that part. But in reality, you are someone different. And this is what he calls the one who gives, who gives and even gives generously, but does it tooting their own horn and being the hypocrite, being the one that's playing a part, apart from who they are. Think about that this morning. Hypocrisy happens in giving, in trying to portray yourself as a good person. We do this all the time. I'd like to even say that I think that this is not, uh, that this is a specific instance that Jesus is calling them to think about the right way to give to the poor. But I also think it's a general uh, idea that's getting to the heart of us. And he says, look, we, we don't live for the pr- approval of others. We don't stand up on a stage and look to the crowd to cheer or to boo and that adjust who we're going to be. We look to our Heavenly Father. And so as... Uh, as we look at this passage, he says there's a wrong way to give. It's it, The wrong way is to toot your own horn, to seek pub- publicity. It, it's to be, it's a wrong way to be a hypocrite, someone who plays a part, wears a mask, gives an impression. The part they play, or the part of generosity that we play, is one that we're concerned about the poor. Or that we see a good, worthy cause and we give. It gives the impression that we are generous people. But in the end, if we live this way, we're concerned only for our own reputation. He even gives a context of where this would happen. He says, uh, this trumpeting of your own uh, accomplishments as the hypocrites do. And where do they do it? In the synagogues and in the streets. The synagogue was uh, the spiritual Grand Central Station, right? It was the place where people came and went. And obviously, if something was given in generosity, in generosity, uh, and it was a large number, and there there would have been talk around the synagogue, especially if everyone knew. And there would have been a sense of, that's the place. And so if there's this big spectacle, more people would see connecting it to being someone who's good and a godly person. And so he says, uh, you know, don't toot your horn, horn like this, those hypocrites who do that in the synagogue, right? But also in the streets, in the streets where people are coming and going, probably where the poor were out on the streets. And this spectacle, um, I would even say an embarrassment of the poor. Hey, I'm giving money. Did everyone see? Everyone see this poor sucker right here? He doesn't have any life left in him. He he doesn't have a job. 
you know, and I had a job and I worked hard and I I've done this. And so I give to him and the shame of the poor in the streets of the town, they trumpet their horn. Uh, they acknowledge uh, their own goodness or they play the part of the hypocrite. And why do they do it? Why do we do it? We do it for a reason, a purpose. It's found, uh, as we look at it, it's found uh, in verse 2. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. That's the motive right there, to be praised by others. Generous giving, generous giving that is meant to be seen and acknowledged by others is the wrong way. I teach Sunday school. I work with the youth. You know, I I serve at the men's breakfast. I help out on, you know, I uh, I swept the whole parking lot. You know, I I, I volunteer um, homeless shelter. You know, I do it all the time. I've done it for a long time. You know how many years I've done it? Uh, you, I've been giving to that for a while because I think it's a worthy cause. And I've decided that uh, I was going to bless them. You know how much I've given? Why? What is the motive behind that? The motive behind that is to be seen by men. And there's this striking point that Jesus brings out. He says this, end of verse 2, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. His point is, they're paid in full. They're paid in full. It's over. Their, their fame for the moment, their spotlight on their generosity is but for a moment and it's gone. Paid in full. And so I kind of struggle with this, to be honest with you, because if you're seeking the praise of men and you get it, uh, doesn't that seem like a good trade off? If that's what you were seeking and, and isn't that, you know, good enough for the person who's seeking the praise of men? Well, I think I, I think that what Jesus is getting at is this. That's all you get paid in full. And you say, oh, well, that's what I wanted, paid in full. But if you look further in this passage, he puts right alongside this life that's uh, acknowledged by the praise of men for their generosity, their paid in full. He lays next to it the eternal rewards of the Father. Let's look at him. That was the wrong way. Now we look to the right way. Verse 3. He says this, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that when your giving may be in secret, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. He lays right next to it the right way and the right way, the the method of it is to not know your right hand, know what your left hand is doing. And you say, what does that mean? You know, you kind of feel like they're like puppets or something like that. And, you know, you don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what you're thinking. You think about uh, all that your hands do and uh, your hands work together all the time. 
You think about in in sports catching a ball. Most of the time it's like this, right? Even if it's like this, there's usually an exchange to like this and then you throw, right? There, there's a sense of your hands working together to do anything. You think about uh, a carpenter as they use their hands. Even if they're right-handed or left, there's a sense where uh, you swing your ha- hammer with your right hand, but you hold it with your left. And you hope that they work together because if they don't, um, you know, the thumb thing happens, right? Smashing of the thumb. And so you see this picture where he says, look at your hands. Look at your hands. They're so intimately involved. They always know what each other is doing. They work together all the time. And he says, but you're giving, but you're giving. When you think of how that is, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's this idea that you don't even tell the members of your own body what the other is doing. Um, this picture here is is pretty extreme for us because we go, oh, you can't even do that. The point is not that you somehow got to deceive the right hand from the left so they don't know what's going on. The point is, is that you, you don't alert everybody. We're going to give now. Uh, we're going to stop. We're going to make a big deal out of this. We're going to make sure we're all in unison and understand how great the gift is. I'm going to give it. And then everyone's supposed to cheer. Uh, go, wow, your hands are both working together to clap. You know, that's not what's supposed to happen. He says it's supposed to be so uh, simple and private and and even instantaneous where it moves on from there that the right hand and the left hand would not know what the other is doing. Um, Most of our giving is not like this. Most of our giving is very calculated and uh, thought out and even promoted. It's accounted for. Um, It's, you know, it's based sometimes on a tax write-off. It's the idea that uh, it fits into a certain purpose and thought and, and, and there's all this hoopla that goes along with it. And Jesus says the right way to give is to give generously in such a way where your right hand and your left hand don't know what the other is doing. As he sees this, he sees this re- regular practice, this assumption of giving is to be uh, this self-sacrifice and even a self-forgetfulness of what has been done. Sad to say, most of us are self-congratulating. We're self-congratulating. We, we do something that we believe is noble, and then we sit for a moment and we dwell on it. We inform the left hand what the right hand has done. We dwell on it. We smile. We sit in our chair and then we pat ourselves on the back. Boy, you've done a good job. If there were others like you, boy, this world would be a better place. Jesus said that's not the way to give. It's not the way to give. The way to give is to uh, be a secret, uh, self-forgetting self-sacrificing person with the motive and the motive is found 
uh, in verse 4. So that your giving may be in secret and your father, your father. You see, this secret giving is not uh, to hide it from everyone in such a way where you're uh, this CIA of giving, the FBI, undercover, special ops. But that it is an outgrowth of your relationship, your private relationship with your father. This morning, I want to point something out that may seem subtle, but I think it uh, is is really the key to this. And I've already mentioned it. I want to ask you a question. Do you have do you have an important, the most important relationship with your heavenly Father? Do you have that? See, Jesus stood before these people, and he was sharing with them about different things. Now he's talking about giving to the poor. But what he's explaining is he's the king in his kingdom. And how they do things in Jesus' kingdom, it's all in relationship to the Father. And and that governs everything, that helps everything, that clarifies everything. And that relationship is the relationship that determines how life is lived. Sometimes we go to church um, and we go to church because we want to become better. We want to do good. We want to do good. I had a bad week and I did a lot of sins and next week I want to do good. And so we come to church. I want to tell you that is not the primary goal of us gathering here this morning. The goal this morning is that you would have a vibrant relationship, an important relationship, the most important relationship with your Heavenly Father. And that that would guard and guide you through all of life's decisions. As we look at this this morning, if uh, you find yourself needing and and empty in a relationship with the Father, I want to talk to you. It's the most important thing. It's really... Step one, we have no other thing to talk about beyond that, is that you would have a vibrant relationship with your Heavenly Father. A few things I want to just summarize for us this morning out of this passage. Be generous. Be generous. Some of you say, well, I had the wrong motive in giving, so I'm going to stop giving. Uh, That won't work. That won't work. Be generous give give when you see needs give support ministry give god's doing great things here great things so be generous if god's blessed you be generous if he's given you a little be generous with that so we should be generous and in our generosity keep moving keep moving don't don't dwell don't dwell on it. That's that right and left hand thing. Don't dwell on it. Boy, what a good boy am I. Pat ourselves on the back. Don't do it. Just keep moving. Keep living. Generosity. We can never outgive God. We can never uh, somehow impress Him with how big our gift is. He gave us everything that we have anyways. So be generous and keep moving. And lastly, we come back to it. Live in relationship with your Heavenly Father. 
Live in relationship with Him. Last week I, I told you, um, because it's in the passage there, that if you don't have a vibrant relationship with your Heavenly Father, your life is going to be complicated. Because you're going to be living for other people. You're going to be checking in and saying, do you think I'm okay? And they're going to go, yeah, you're okay. Oh, but what about the way this person thinks of me and this person and that person? And, and we're going to go around chasing our tail. But if we have the most important relationship with our Heavenly Father, this relationship will be enough. When we come to those decisions, when we struggle with those insecurities, we go, we look to Him and say, what do you think? We cry out to him, what do you want? What do you want me to do? How much do you want me to give? Where do you want me to serve? How do you want me to spend this day? Who do you want me to spend this day with? It's the single place where we go. This is what God's designed us for. In relationship with him. With Jesus paying the penalty so that we could be in relationship with him. Let me pray for us and ask that God would remind us of these things this week. God, work in our hearts now through your Holy Spirit. Ask that you would be uh, reforming our hearts, changing us, helping us to repent and change and doing the work that no one else can do. God, I pray that you're doing that right now. God, I ask if there are any here today um, that don't have a relationship with you, ask that your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself even now. God, I I ask that you would use your word to reorder our world. God, make us generous people, but not for the praise of men, but that we would uh, do it out of the blessing of relationship with you. Thank you for what Jesus did on the cross, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.